Welcome to Blessed Child Podcast. A little update. We have reached three new countries this past week, totaling 38 around the world. If you are new to deconstructing the Unification Church, welcome. You are not alone. Another bit of information is that I got my first sponsor. Um, yeah, I activated sponsorship and... Uh, Blessed Child was a personal journal for me on deconstructing and what that looks like. In the beginning, I felt isolated, and I'm so glad I started recording because the emotional labor that goes into something like this, it can't be faked, and it can't be forced, and it can't really be revisited. It's a beautiful unfolding, and it must be really helpful to actually hear and witness what deconstruction looks like and how healing it can be. We are writing these chapters in real time and in our stories and how we made it through. That might one day become someone else's survival guide. This community is only growing and I wanted to say thank you. Something Bessel van der Kolk said, the man who wrote Your Body Keeps the Score. To paraphrase, he said that the biggest difference in an event being labeled traumatic or not being traumatic is in the support. And then in the UC purity culture was an injury that we literally called the blessing. And so in that reality, we had no support to deconstruct these very real injuries, social traumas, and human rights violations. So I'm glad to be a part of this team, and I'm glad that you're here, and it's my honor to hold this space. Now, on to the episode. I want you to consider the idea that words are magic that connection has power, and that storytelling has the ability to change us. I want you to also consider that your emotional body is something that needs to be given time and space to exist and to be explored. In this episode, we will take a musical pause. The song Quiet Forest was composed by a previous guest, Janae Sun, whom you first heard in the episode, The Everlasting Gobstopper, where she spoke that her first three years of life were in the church orphanage located in Boulder, Colorado, and later Ohio. Then, at 12 years old, she found herself living in South Korea at the Mooney boarding school called GOP. Janae composed this song during her spare time on the pianos in GOP that was then located in the Illwaf factory. And you need to know that although Janae showed this innate ability to compose original music, her creative ability went unnourished. This is because the adults around her were too distracted in survival mode to support her in nurturing this gift. Janae luckily had this self-preserving dignity to have her music recorded right before she went off to SCF. That's right. After high school, Janae was labor trafficked by Reverend Moon, selling trinkets on the streets and sleeping in vans. She did not pursue an education in music. No. She went to SCF. And so in a very fortuitous way, we get to revisit a fraction of the emotional journey of a 12-year-old girl in the depths of growing up Mooney. I implore you to create space for the journey that we will take, whatever that looks like for you. I cried, and so I'm marking that as a major trigger warning. We speak on family dynamics, the rainbow of genitalia, purity culture, and the very complex topic of offering children. This is a very important conversation. So let's get started. Like you being a cog in in this huge machine of suppression 
and mm. abuse. This fucked with my head. Oh yeah. A lot. I I think that power dynamic is playing in a lot of families. Becca, I have a lot of questions for you as the oldest. Have you found a way to overcome that type of separation that that shouldn't have ever been between you siblings? I, I'm feeling a little bit of tension in my family. I'm not gonna lie, like mm, the power dynamics really did play a huge role in hiding my hiding ourselves from each other. And um, my brothers would enforce purity culture standards with me, like. When I got my ears pierced, I remember getting berated in front of all of all of the school because my my brothers were like, my one of my brothers was like, that's your husband's choice. That wasn't your choice. Those aren't your ears. Those are your husband's ears. And I'm sure he's embarrassed of that story now because we're all out. But but that was some of the things that I would get told in front of everybody that even piercing my own ears was not my choice and that I made a huge mistake and it wasn't for men. That's not something they should have been doing, but I know that it was planted in them to do that. And I was wondering, yeah, how is how is that with you guys? For me, I think it took a long time to overcome this weird parentification that happened with a lot of us, right? Because um, when your parents are on a mission a lot or like working for the church, you know, you are left alone a lot or like you're told that you have to take care of your siblings a lot um which would be fine you know if (laughs) if it was once in a while but um yeah I felt as a a kid I felt like I had to take care of my siblings and I didn't want to I just wanted to play because I was a child um but I did that anyway and last year and this year, um, I learned to accept help from my little siblings, which was so hard for me <laughs> um, because I'm used to taking care of them, right? Like that's, of course I do that. I love to do that. It's second nature to me. But to be able to just also tell them when I need help and then accept it from them. That was hard for me. Um, And I moved out quite young. I moved out when I was 17. And um, three years ago, approximately three years ago, I moved to this town where I live now, um, where four of my siblings live. And I lived with my youngest brother. He's the youngest of the boys. Um, I lived with him for 10 months in the room where our sister used to live in. So um, it was beautiful. Like we learned a lot about each other now and it's work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I get to know them as adults and I'm learning not to see them as children anymore. And they they learn to see me as not like the puberty monster that I was. When I <laughs> Which is good. Like we're having a reality check moment now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of residual like feeling of responsibility for everything regarding my family. And I'm trying to break this. But even like when I, so I was living in very, very, 
tiny town in South Germany for like 10 years. And my brother was already living in Cologne. And my parents live in a different city. They would call me to ask me if I know when is going to come visit them instead of calling. That has stopped. <laughs> that's, that's the level of involvement. Like that's wow. the level of management. And I know that wow. they didn't do it because, you know, they, they just didn't think about it. They just thought that Becca knows everything. So we should probably call Becca. She organizes everything. And you know what? The weird thing is, I did know when I was going to go. <laughs> so they didn't even have to call him. Like, but, but nowadays I just make them call the specific sibling that they want to talk to or, or they just ask in the group chat nowadays. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot of like me trying to fix everything regarding my family. Like I'm trying not to do it anymore. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Becca. I feel like the sibling dynamics we haven't covered in this podcast. And I think it's because it is the most painful for me. And um, I am still grieving. Ooh, there's a lot of feelings. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of injury. Um, in the families and the siblings that it's so hard to talk about. And I don't know if these conversations can happen because it takes, it would require, our families are big. The church families are at least four <laughs> on a minimum. <laughs> um, you know, not all of us have siblings. Some of us were offering children or, or we don't, we're single children and that happened. And that's, so this is for the people that do have siblings in the Unification Church. Some of us are all on different levels of faith or leaving, or some of us didn't leave. Some of us are still in. Maybe all of us are out, but there's a hard wall. And I think it's from the prior dynamics, um, as well as purity culture, as well as even opposite sex. I couldn't hang out with my brothers freely because they were men. That was weird. Um that's incestual and gross and that's a standard that yeah. should have been there but there's so many levels of separation yeah I um I talk to my sisters and uh, we talk about everything regarding you know dating and there's like no barrier but I could never talk to my brothers about the same things because there's yeah. like a lot of shame right like you don't talk to your brothers and I always assume that they talk amongst each other but apparently they don't <laughs> for some reason but I feel you Ren like when when I said that I was enforcing purity culture I specifically meant for the next younger sibling that I have which happens to be a boy a man now he's a man now yeah. he's like <laughs> 35 so I can say that <laughs> but um <laughs> So this thing happened where um, our parents invited a foreign exchange student into our home for 10 months. And he was from Japan and he was not in church. He was just a random kid from a program. Um, and he was a year older than I was. I must have been 15 and this boy was 16 and my youngest, my, my younger brother was like 13 or something. And um I remember being super extra shitty to that boy. Like I was horrible. 
like really, really horrible to that boy. Specifically because I heard him talk about masturbation to my brothers. And I thought he's the devil. I literally thought he is like Satan trying to influence my brothers to fall. So I attacked him and I made him feel not, not physically attacked him, but like attacked him verbally and made him feel shitty. And yeah, and I, I, I think I wanted to be like the opposite pole to him. So I reinforced a lot of very like rigid sex negative stuff into my poor brother's brain. And I'm truly deeply sorry for that. And I think I owe this man an apology. (laughs) Like we've met when I was in Japan um, and I, I, you know, got to meet his family and his kids and he's great. And we talked about stuff, but just now, like not even a month ago, I realized why I was so shitty to him. Like it was me trying to defend quote unquote, defend my brother's purity. Right. Right. That's a shitty reason to be shitty to such a young person who has no idea what's happening. He was in a foreign country and there was this girl living in his home who was just shitty to him for no apparent reason. Wow. I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. I, I, I feel that on a deep level, Becca, like you said, like you can't believe in purity culture and you can't hurt yourself and as many people as you do without thinking you're doing good without ferociously protecting the people you love, you do really, really shitty things. And I've done that too on so many levels, demonizing people that don't deserve to be demonized, demonizing little boys that have feelings and demonizing their feelings, isolating myself from human connection. I think this is a really serious issue and I don't, I don't know what to do about it. I, the, the numbers are countless. The people injured are countless. How could I say sorry to all the people that have ever been injured by this this idea that I hurt personally? But isn't it super insidious how they make you complicit in your own abuse, right? And make you complicit in the abuse of the people you love? Yes. Yeah, that's... How do you wrap your head around that? Yeah, how do you do? Nisuk, I think we were talking about this earlier, is that we are complicit in our abuse, um, unable to call out the abuser, groomed for it. But I mean, what the heck? I mean, they have to have, they have had to reframe it so that we think it's something good. We have, we had to think it was something good for us to be able to endure it. People don't just endure abuse. We, we thought we were safer being complicit. So, for example, if you believe in the idea of purity, yeah, then you can be mean to yourself and other people to protect it. Weird. But it's not even real. <laughs> but it's not even real. That's the kicker. It's an empty box. There's nothing that purity is fake. It's a, it's a, it's a wall to cut you off from yourself, from all these different experiences, from from experiencing a creative life of infinite possibility. It's, it's purity isn't real. Purity is, it's not a real thing that you're protecting with your life. It's not. Um, what is real is human experience and 
connection and intimacy and growing up with your siblings without some crazy ideas, ideals that you're supposed to live up to and just embracing each other for who you are and supporting each other in real moments and being raw and being authentic. I never had a moment where I could be authentic with my brothers. And I grieve that to this day. I do. I, I grieve it and it's okay to grieve because it's messed up that we were stripped of intimacy and connection with our own family members. It's messed up that we couldn't be ourselves. We had to be part. And, and those times are gone. We're grown. We will never live in the same house. That's what I'm grieving. I do grieve. I wish I could go back there and embrace my brothers as, as who they were instead of pretending that I was somebody else. Take a break and I will come back in a second. <laughs> Poor Misik is just watching us weep. <laughs> no, I feel so much love from you guys. go back on the record um yeah the the injuries I carry from my brothers and me being ostracized as children and um pinned against each other like with this golden golden child ideal and um oh so the church reinforced so many competitive toxic competitive dynamics in the sibling relationships um it completely destroyed any sense of family and uh it's a huge injury and it's a huge grief 
that I carry and I will be reduced to tears in a matter of seconds if I think about it still. <laughs> like I will. I just, this is not something I'm over. This is not something I'm healed from and I don't know how, but it is there. My sister and I always acknowledge that we're so lucky that we're friends now because even, you know, in the cult, outside the cult, you don't always end up believing the same things or valuing the same things. And yeah, I know I'm, I'm really lucky, but definitely the competition that you mentioned, like my mom would always say to me, like I had to be a good example because I was the oldest. Um, she was definitely harder on me. And, but my sister, like, in trying to live up to these standards, like, she always, it just like crushed her self esteem so much because I would try really hard and I would get straight A's, but school, like, wasn't for her as it's, it's not for a lot of kids. Um, and she, I don't know, she would compare so much because my mom would compare us all the time. And it was so damaging for her self-esteem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Why was, why was that? Why was that a comment? I mean, I know that people outside of the church get compared. I know. I know there's a golden child in every family or a black sheep. I know those are common. Those are common terms and ideas. But what specifically, I look around at all my friends that grew up in the church, and I know that there's so much damage in the sibling relationships. I know it because we've talked about it. We've grieved it. We've seen it. When I say dysfunctional families instead of ideal, I mean in every relationship. It, it poisoned every relationship. And what was it? What, was Reverend Moon comparing children was that just a con? Was that is that an Asian culture that contributed? Because we're all mixed. Most of us are mixed. Or what? What was it? Was it the purity culture policing or the parentification of the first child? Usually, the kids were abandoned, and the first kid had to take care of the whole family, or or the opposite, where in my situation, none of us took care of each other, and so we were all severely abused and neglected and abandoned and didn't know how to self-care or self-soothe so we grew up like wolves in the wilderness but did moon idolize his one son that died in a car accident yes yeah he was the right yeah, he was the, yes wasn't yeah, he, he the golden child yeah everybody said he was the best wow yeah, he was wow. the sweetest the kindest he gave his life spinning yeah. the car around so the kids From providence yeah and then he he crowned his youngest son the heir apparent right yeah so foregoing like primogenitor which would be normal i think right in like a royalty situation the firstborn son is the heir apparent but then he forgoes all the other sons and daughters of course and crowns his youngest son isn't that kind of petting your kids against each other? Right. Oh, yeah. 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 And so of course he leads with the example. One of the reasons I got blessed, and I don't know if this guy, I think this goes hand in hand, is because none of my brothers were successfully blessed because nobody would look at us because our family lineage was tainted. We were children of a divorced blessing. 
Um, so I thought that if I find somebody to get blessed to, then my brothers will fall in line and get happy marriages. So that was a little bit of the weird dynamics going on. Um, you put all the pressure on yourself. Yeah. What is that? The pressure that you feel it's so enmeshed. It's so enmeshed. It's a mess. Families. Yeah. All your value was reflected in them. Part of yeah. it was in like power imbalance. There is no like conflict resolution because you know, someone's always going to have more control and someone's always going to have to submit to that control. And like our parents were modeled that and they try to copy it in their marriages. And I personally like never saw my parents apologize to each other in my whole life. They would argue all the time and then they would just pretend it never happened. So me and my sister did the same thing. We would fight all the time, all the time. And then we just, got over it on our own and <laughs> pretended it didn't happen um and it was only like I think last year I was like bothering my sister to come out dancing with me and she wasn't in the mood and I realized I I was really like pushing her and she was she felt like uncomfortable and later we were able to talk about it and I just like apologize and I thanked her for like being able to speak her mind and set her boundary um and I think like years ago we we would have never been able to do that um but it comes with a lot of like knowing ourselves and respecting like respecting each other because obviously we love each other but in order to communicate with someone you have to be able to communicate your boundaries and they have to feel comfortable communicating their boundaries that's so powerful Lisa those are things we were not what's coming to mind is that we didn't have like in a cult in a sex cult a child they like sex trafficking cults there are no boundaries there are no other options for opinions other than the given mm-hmm. ideal child. We were we were called blessed children. There was a box for us. There was a mold. We were blessed children. Mm-hmm. And so those were the only I th- those were only the only parts of ourselves we could show in our sibling relationships too. So it's yes. so inauthentic. This makes yes. sense. As as only being able to show up as of yourself because there are no boundaries there is no agency there is no opinion how can you even have a relationship if all the only common ground between you is the divine principle and anything else will be judged and shamed so you can't be yourself you can only we can only meet them on these level gods in between all the relationships and this this little parent you know the diagrams that they would do but I think that had to do with it I think that contributed to it because we're not talking about regular family dynamics we're talking about an extreme cult theology that where everything is controlled this isn't this isn't easy to navigate mm-hmm. this isn't an easy family dynamic like we I want to I want to acknowledge that we had it really hard all of us in in sibling dynamics as a family it was hard to not be able to show up 
to not be able to show up even to ourselves, let alone our siblings. Like, of course, we had to hide those parts that weren't acceptable from ourselves. And that's where the cognitive dissonance runs so deep. I, I think it's just important, and maybe this is as far as we're going to get with family dynamics, as just to acknowledge it wasn't normal. It's in no way the normal family. Like we had it yeah. very difficult. Every aspect. I think, of- I think I said that last time though, right? That um, purity culture, purity culture sexualizes children unnecessarily and unnecessarily mm-hmm. early. Mm. So even if you have like siblings of the opposite sex, it teaches you to see them as inherently sexual already because you cannot look at their genitals, right? You cannot see your siblings naked from a certain age, which is super unnatural. And it makes, it it builds a a force barrier between your brothers and your sisters. Yeah, you, you divide them. It's fucked up. Yeah. Now that you say that, I did feel like I always had to hide myself yes. in my own home. From your literal brothers. Why would you need to do that? Does it not make any sense? It wasn't them. It wasn't them. It wasn't them. It was an idea that the church gave me. What the fuck? I'm still unpacking all of this. This is really hard yeah, for same. me. I... Because the fact of the matter is that we're grown and we're all in different states. And if I never put in the effort to fix this or see them again, I will never see them again. And that time is past. And that's a grief that I am, you know, I want to put in the effort, but it is so hard to repair something that never happened or something that did happen. How do you fix it? How do you give yourself a lifetime of living together when it's over? How do you, how do you fix this? I don't know. I think you have to build something new, right? Yeah. Something that is not defined. Like with your marriage, right? Your marriage can be whatever you want. And so can your relationship to your brothers. Mm-hmm. You have to create something new because there was what was there before. Like you weren't being authentic. They weren't being authentic. That's not yeah, like a relationship that's go back to. It's yeah. right. That yeah. Create now something, something that, that is for you that excludes Moon, right? Something that focuses on your needs. We have, you know, we haven't had the family chats or the group meetings, but we have been giving each other stock advice since <laughs> the pandemic crash. <laughs> totally separate. You know, it helps. Uh, my brothers will shoot shoot over messages like, "Hey, this stock is rocketing. You might want to get in on it." I'm like, "That's cool. I can that's do that. love. That is love. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that can be a love language. Giving stock advice. Yeah, because you're trying to hook up your <laughs> you're trying to hook your siblings up with financial freedom as well as you yeah. Know, some, you you want to make bond. sure that you're taken care of. Yeah, I think that's a love language, and that's kind of cute. It is cute. That's how a uh, that's how I'm healing. I don't know. Create something new. Stocks went around in 2000, like stock apps. We could just trade stocks in the drop of a hat. <laughs> oh, shit. This is heavy, man. I didn't know it's we'd get into this. I did not yeah, know either. we would get into this. Family dynamics. I was not prepared for this. I was. 
which one of you guys brought us here on this side of TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> Whose fault is it? <laughs> what is this algorithm? <laughs> Why did you bring me here? <laughs> I wanted to on- watch cat videos. So now I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I signed up for. You know what really helped me get over this weird object subject thinking between men and women? Mm-hmm. was actually not dating men but dating women <laughs> so then i had to like break out of a lot of learned behavior and like expectations that i set for myself how <laughs> quote unquote women should behave in a dating dynamic but if you date other women like what do you do <laughs> they like, haven't tainted uh, navigating that yet. Yeah, navigating sexuality and navigating like, you know, power dynamics within a relationship. Like I had to learn that from scratch. It's very healing and empowering to me. But it's hard <laughs> because I have to unlearn so much. Mm-hmm. To unlearn to mistrust myself. I have to actively learn to trust myself and listen to myself. I don't find it hard listening to other people. Like, that's not my issue. I'm sure you guys have the same non-issue, right? Like, we live for the sake of others, literally. So it's it's not a problem. But finding out what you want, what you yourself want, and what you yourself need, that's hard. And then that's the first step, right? And then you have to say it out loud <laughs> so that the other person can give it to you. <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> then you have to communicate it (laughs) (laughs) no but i was gonna say that we were trained to think in dualism and that sounds beautiful i think that's the korean theology it's like yin and yang you know object and subject and positive and negative but in that theology you miss everything in between and so i think that's what you were doing is you had to cut off that one part if it's masculine and feminine and well i'll just date feminine and explore this without that dualistic uh, theology glasses. And in that you discovered so much beauty and that's, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, and dating gender non-conforming people and transgender people and non-binary people and, you know, discovering and learning that there's like a gradients of genitalia that it's not, this is the shape of the female genitalia. And then on the other side, it's the male genitalia and there's nothing in between. Oh no, 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 no. There's a gradient, like a literal gradient. (laughs) So so um, super interesting, right? But if a female, assigned female at birth person takes testosterone, their clitoris grows. And it will not, revert once they stop taking testosterone and they develop something that is what medicine calls a micropenis and it can be taken in the mouth it can be stimulated it's a whole thing it's kind of a male clitoris yes and if a person that is yeah i know right my mind is blown too (laughs) I'm like, can somebody get me that testosterone? I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want a micro penis. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I 
yeah, and also so like the clitoris has way more nerve endings than a than the head of the penis. So having that in big, pretty stimulating. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, I think we also don't talk enough about the female penis, which is it's not the clitoris. It's when a male assigned at birth person um, takes estrogen then their penis changes in yeah in shape and in texture it will not get as hard it, it has a different kind of erection it looks different when aroused and everything so yeah there's like and and it doesn't have to be something that happens by introducing hormones to your body because you you know, you want to, but this is something that happens by nature itself too, which is, you know, with intersex people or people that are not strictly male and strictly female because these are constructs, right? So there's a lot of non-stereotypical genitalia out there and people get shamed for it, right? We call it a micro penis and shame men that don't have a big penis. And we shame women who have an larger than average clitoris. You know, but it's all beautiful and it's all natural. And it's all, you know, for pleasure. You know, as a nurse, I want to relate this, like judging people based on their thyroid level. It's not something you can control. <laughs> Go look at your thyroid. It's so big and you have such... So much of it like I don't care it's not something you can control what like that's amazing that's beautiful that there's so many right. variations yeah thank you for um educating us that's like a really good language to know this is wow this is all all the in-between and it's beautiful yeah. whatever you have and that harkens back to porn and their very narrow representation of genitalia and also wow. to purity culture, because it divides us into two things that we can be either a man or a woman, and everything that's in between doesn't exist. I think that's super enlightening. Thank you for sharing that, Becca. That is some really good information. I feel like I saw the rainbow of genitalia for the first time. It's beautiful. I think I should take some are we are we all just thinking about genitalia now is that what's <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> spinning like sheep like sheep jumping over my head it's like this one and then this one I'm <laughs> <laughs> like oh look at that penis like oh look at that clitoris yeah it's oh. super fascinating like the words, I've seen right? a lot of dick I mean as a nurse I've seen a lot of penises too yeah, but it's different. Like when you start catheters, like I know I've like put a lot of catheters in. Can confirm, can confirm this. Porn is not real, can confirm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So is there anything else we want to wrap this up with? I, this is probably going to be split into two episodes that I'll release on two different weekends. Um, just because we covered so much. Um, are you guys okay with that? 
Yeah, I think the second part could be the sibling thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that was really hard. That was, yeah. I don't know, man, that's, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable because that's strength and I'm not alone with having difficult, we are not alone with having difficult sibling dynamics. And that is such a huge part of everything we're talking about. Yeah. And, I, uh, um, our youngest sister is an offering child. So that's a huge, huge open wound in our family. Wow. wow. Um, I know that the offering children, there was like conditions set. At, is this pre-birth or after birth that they would be given to another family? Or um, did you know? So, yeah. So with us, um, it was kind of a special situation because um, so her parents and our parents are friends or they used to be friends and um, they would come visit us a lot. Um, and they wanted to have a child for a long time. And they tried everything, everything. But they were too old to adopt a child legally. So, um, and there is no surrogate. surrogacy. Yeah. Surrogate. yeah. yeah. So there's, that's not allowed in Germany. You cannot really? be a surrogate mother. It's not, no. Oh, wow. um, that's why all the gay people go to the US <laughs> to get a surrogate. Um, but um, so this couple they straight up told my parents that if they ever were to adopt a child, they wanted to have one of my parents' kids because we are so great and everything. And then my mom said, yeah, if we're ever going to have a sixth child, you can have it. And she said that believing that she was in menopause. But in fact, she was pregnant at that time and she didn't know. Then when she found out that she was pregnant, um, she wanted to tell our sister's mother that she's pregnant, but she cannot go through with it. She cannot give a child. <laughs> but then she started the sentence and our sister's mother just started crying out of gratitude and, you know, hugging her and saying thank you all over again. So, um, so then my mom couldn't say no. And then, oh. yeah, then we... My parents gave our little sister to, to that couple right after birth. She went home with this couple. And um, they. it was a foster child situation. So my parents pretended not to have enough money to care for another child. So they would give this child mm -hmm. away in foster care to this people. And then after a year, they could legally adopt her. And that's what happened. Like, that's the legal route that they took wow. and the condition specifically for us was that we get to see her once a year at least and um i mean she looks super asian and her adoptive parents are white so it you know there wasn't hiding it that's right. not a possibility so yeah so she knew from the beginning who her birth parents were and who her siblings are and she's one of the siblings that lives around here so our relationship is pretty good now um but it's not easy and it's it hurts still she was raised an only child yes 
and her parents left the Unification Church like a few years after they adopted her. Like, I don't know, when she was three or something. And I resented them for it. I resented them so much. I felt like they stuck around long enough that they can grab a child and then piss off. (laughs) Which is not what happened, you know. But, like, in my mind, that was the narrative. Mm -hmm. That's a really heavy story. Thank you for speaking on that. There's, there's so many offering children in the Unification Church. That's a standard practice for um, Enrica Christopher, who is an offering child, coined it the ticket to heaven in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, for those listening, you could not get into heaven without creating an ideal family first, which is what Reverend Moon said. And to create an ideal family, you need a man and a woman in a blessed marriage under him with a blessed child. And that, that fulfills the four position foundation of relationship dynamics and through practicing those relationships you can perfect yourself is basically the ideology behind people getting conned out of their children it sounds like it sounds like your mother was your baby was stolen um like an illusion of choice yeah she she didn't really have a choice right because this whole thing has a preface weirdly when she was yeah. pregnant with my second brother of her third child there was this thing like this high up korean family um that couldn't have any kids and so they came into our congregation and said that they wanted a child so who wants to give one up and my mother was like thinking to herself that she already has two kids and she's pregnant right now but she couldn't bring herself to give up her child because, she, you know, it's her child. So that's the normal response, right? Yes. But then one of her best friends who was pregnant at the time too gave up her firstborn child. <gasps> yeah. And my mom never forgave herself for that. There, there's and different so, dynamics. Yeah. So yeah, when when the time came when our sister's parents asked her for the child. She felt like she had to repay that debt, right? So she, she didn't really have a choice. Like, you know, you would say, yeah, why, how could you give your child up? <laughs> like, that's how. They make you think that you, you have to do this. They make you think it's, there is no way around this. She wouldn't have not done it if she didn't think she had a choice. I I want to, you know, you saying that I want to bring in another perspective that's maybe more obvious from outsider's perspective, but our parents were marriage trafficked. They were commodified. So I can imagine giving up my first child in a loveless marriage because I didn't know what the hell I had gotten into. I can see myself as a first generation Mooney in the 80s getting matched off to a total stranger, getting pregnant 40 days later, and and then all of a sudden going from a radical hippie to a pregnant mom-to-be, commodified, trafficked, labor trafficked, all sorts of abused. I might be in a mental state where you could could convince me that that was the best thing to do. I just want to offer that perspective because like these 
images are flashing in my head of what could have possibly been going on. There's so many levels of abuse. There's so many levels of trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even though I know that the circumstances around this adoption were like the best possible, right? We knew that we had a sister. We had contact with her. Our parents and her parents were in contact all the time throughout the years. She knew we were her siblings. She always referred to us as her siblings. It's still hard. I can't even imagine what it's like to know that you have a sibling out there and they don't know. That is the case. Yeah. This is the reality for so many people now. Right. Like finding out that you're adopted, you know, after your parents left the church or whatever. Like these tragedies happen a lot. And Reverend Moon did it himself. Uh, Sam Park, he took away from his mother and planted in Bohe Park's family to be raised. That was maybe one of the first, you could call it offering children, but that was, that was the model. That was the model. Don't, Sam Park didn't know he wasn't a park. He didn't know that Reverend Moon was his father. He played with, he played with his siblings and didn't even know they were his siblings. I mean, this is, this goes all the way back to the Royal family. Yeah. So all of this goes back to the, the moon, the moon family. It's not just, Oh, well that happened to you. Oh, that's just your story. That's our, that is a huge representation. That story. Yeah. It's a collective story, right? Like it is a collective story. Yeah. You know who should, you should also interview next. Um, Children that were labeled as Jacob's child. They were very voiceless and underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And yeah this is an open invitation to any jacob's children listening anybody that's in the margins anybody who's been marginalized by the unification church anybody who's been victimized by the unification church this is an open invitation please tell your side of the story because i promise you promise you you're not the only one and your voice is valuable yeah wow yeah that's some heavy stuff Nisek, do you feel like we've covered a lot of things for you? I know you're sleepy because you've worked all night and then you've been up all or all morning for this podcast. So thank you, Misek, for for doing that with, with us. Yeah, no. We talked for so long, but it was I just feel lighter. Feels good. Good. Yeah. I felt a little bit of trauma leave my body when we paused mm-hmm. and cried. Um and what that feels like for me, I'm starting to give it a language is this lightheadedness, like leaving my body and kind of releasing this pain that's been in there for so long. And it feels like almost like what a Mooney would call spiritual experience. is <laughs> like seeing the world for the first time, looking around mm. and seeing the world as a foreign, like what is happening? That's kind of that moment. I don't know. So thank you for helping me release that trapped emotion. That was really powerful. Mm, yeah. yeah. And seeing it and validating it. Rebecca, you are a powerhouse, man. You've come to all of these talks. You and me are made of the same caliber. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if you, um, I think you read it on the Facebook group, but um, my dad and I are going to start a podcast. Yeah, I saw that in yeah. German. That is so amazing. Yeah. You're gonna, yeah, that's 
was actually his idea. I am so surprised. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you we were it? talking about like what it was for him, like to be in church and how did it come and how did he leave and whatever. And then I realized that I want to record it for myself. So I asked him whether or not I can report record bits of our conversation. And then we did a couple more of those talks unrecorded. And then he said, you know, I think a lot of first generation parents would benefit from this conversations. Like, do you think we should maybe record them? <laughs> and I was like, are you suggesting a podcast, mister? <laughs> he was like, I think I am. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what's going to happen. And my boyfriend, um, he had a podcast himself. So he has all the equipment and all the, you know, software. And he can help me set it up. So that's happening. Oh. This is the yes. teaser, ladies and gentlemen. If you love Becca, go follow Mighty Brecca. She's going to start a podcast. <laughs> and learn some German. Yes, learn some German. We were actually thinking about writing, like, translated scripts of it to post it on a blog because I do really think that it would be healing for a lot of second gen people to hear what my dad has to say because he's very like he's aware that he's hurt us and um, yeah he said some things that really helped me wow like it's come to terms with a lot of stuff that happened so yeah that's amazing uh, and that's creating something new creating a new relationship and giving yourself a new framework to operate in i, I think that's going to be so healing becca and thank you yeah. for doing that i look forward to reading the translations and um i know that five percent of my listeners are from germany so there's a huge amount of people listening to this podcast in Germany and I can only imagine what it's going to do when you translate in the native tongue but probably reach so many people that aren't bilingual um, I know that this podcast is in, in English and, and that's limiting so that's amazing that you're going to create a new resource for those people that and I hope I hope I hope this encourages more people to do that because it's so your voice is so valuable and if you're bilingual multilingual I mean what what an amazing thing to do with your time wow that's awesome becca thank you so much ren for giving all of us the platform with your podcast i felt so honored that you asked me to join your panel i really am thank you whoa kathleen's here i guess i'll talk to her <laughs> we should let you go to sleep I know. I, I am. Go I'm gonna go and have a brief dinner and talk to my boyfriend and then go to bed too. Hey, <laughs> Kathleen. Hi, guys. I'm so excited hey. for the conversation you guys are about to have. What a way to end an episode. Join us next week as I speak with Kathleen Bell about her journey in the Unification Church. As always, take care of your health, take care of your mental, and we will speak again next week. <laughs>